It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to your post-game Orange and Brown talk. The Browns blow it against the New York Jets. Doug Maurice, Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Lobby, Ashley Bastock, and Irie Harris. Mary Kay, you've done this a long time. Can you put in context how bad that was? You know, I've seen a lot of bad things over the years. I mean, I'm going all the way back to, you know, drive and fumble. I mean, this was pretty bad. It's up there in uh, in probably the top 10 epic colossal meltdowns that that I've ever seen uh, this team have, especially with so much at stake and so many things uh, going on with this football team right now. So uh, it was crushing and, uh, you know, and hopefully for them, uh, they can shake it off quickly because they have the Steelers coming on Thursday night. So I, w- I want to get a, a vibe from you guys there on the scene, what the mood was like with the Browns after this win. But Dan, I think it's very fair to ask if anybody's going to answer for this. The defensive communication breakdowns are continuing for two weeks. This is not the first time we've seen a Joe Woods defense kind of have problems with something like this. Um, I don't know, man. Ohio State had a terrible defensive performance in week two last year. And by Tuesday, the defensive coordinator was demoted. So, I mean, I don't this is year three of Joe Woods. People are saying put it on the on the secondary coach. This was a colossal failure. Should they do something? They, no, they, they shouldn't. If the do something is they're going to fire Joe Woods. No, I, I don't think that's necessarily the answer. But I do think we're, it's fair at this point to like wonder what is happening. Joe Woods is a secondary guy. This is a guy that has come up coaching defensive backs. So they have to be better. These guys have played together now for two years. They've been in this Joe Woods system, some of them for three years this stuff can't keep happening, especially when it's Joe Flacco and Baker Mayfield on the other side. What's, I mean, the fear here is what is Justin Herbert going to do? Like he's going to take advantage of every mistake you make. Um, you know, the, there are quarterbacks you're going to face that are going to just pick your defense apart if these miscommun- miscommunications continue. So if the, the answer is they have to fire Joe Woods tomorrow, I don't think that's the right answer. But I do think like, we, you know, we can't give him a pass on this stuff and, and we can't give the rest of that defensive coaching staff a pass and we can't give these players a pass, whether it's the corners or the safeties. I mean, these guys are making a lot of money right now. They, they've got to be able to, to not give up two touchdowns in the final minute 55 of the game. Ashley, I know you wrote specifically about that and I want to ask you about that. But first, I want to hear from anybody else who thinks like something should be done. I don't know. 
maybe not fire Joe Woods, but fire some other defensive coach. I don't know, sit somebody down. I don't know if it was Grant Delpit's fault or whatever. Does anybody think there's a reaction beyond we got to get better, we blame ourselves, gobbledygook coach speak, we'll come back and, hey, everybody, let's be better next time, or are you going to actually hold people accountable? Anybody think something should happen? I don't think you need to have a knee-jerk reaction. I think that, uh, you know, that they need to they need to maybe give it another couple of weeks and and try to get it together. Of course, the thing is, they don't have a lot of time to get it together for Thursday night. Uh, you know, they did a lot of things well defensively and, you know, and they did a lot of things well defensively last week as well. Um, so I don't know if you want to have a knee jerk reaction and go firing people uh, because the back end is not communicating. And when, you know, I talked to extensively to John Johnson after the game, I will be writing some more about that. Uh, but he just said, we, you know, we either need to have a hand signal that says, you know, this is who has this guy or this is what happens on this or we need to have some kind of a cue, uh, but our communication is being sent and not received was uh, how he explained it. So I don't necessarily think that, um, you know, that heads should roll over this. Nobody else wants to fire anybody. Okay. That's fine. We don't have to fire. Well, no, I mean, I might fire somebody, but I might be one against four on this. Ashley, I know you wrote after the game, the miscommunications rear their head again. Was it Grant Delpit? I don't know. It sure seemed like he kind of was standing there and Denzel let the guy go. And I don't know what Grant Delpit was doing if he wasn't supposed to have the deep half of the field there. Like, why Why do you think this is happening, Ashley? Yeah, I mean, to quickly answer the Grant Delpit portion of things, it seemed, and I saw a talk about this on Twitter. It looked like maybe they were talking about this on the broadcast. It felt a lot like Joe Flacco was targeting Grant Delpit a lot today when running their offense. Um, and I do think, you know, it's it's hard to tell. We talk about this all the time. In the immediate aftermath of those plays, without somebody directly owning up to it, it's always kind of hard to tell, like, what guy was in the wrong, maybe, and who was making up for who. You kind of have to glean things from body language and, and things like that. Um, but, you know, I was curious, I talked to Greg Newsom after the game while he was, he was talking at the same time JJ Bree was because he's the guy who kind of brought up this week that miscommunication was their biggest issue. And I was curious, especially given the fact he missed a lot of time in the preseason, Denzel Ward missed a lot of time in the preseason, if they were kind of going into the season wary that this might be an issue or if it's caught them by surprise. And Greg kind of admitted that it's caught them by surprise, that they didn't think that this was going to be a problem, that they felt like they were communicating in practice and kind of like what JJ3, I think, was alluding to, that the solution is now over communicating, especially for you know, these guys who've been on this team for a few years and in this system now for a few years. Also cover the guy running past you 70 yards yeah. for a touchdown in the final minute and a half. I mean, it is rank incompetence. This is not like, oh, I wasn't sure. They're standing like statues. And it was Denzel Ward and Grant Delpit on that side of the field. So it's one of those two. And everyone, eh, I don't want to blame anybody. We don't know. It's one of those two. And it looked like Denzel let him go and Grant Delpit didn't take him. So, yeah. you know, if God, that's wrong, Grant Delpit's Parents well, you, can call me and complain, you, but it you, feels like it was him. You see a lot of like after these mistakes, if you watch them, like you see a lot of, of pointing and looking. And that was something Greg talked about, too. And like, guys, you know, if that could potentially carry over into frustration and he got in a little deeper on that. But yeah, I mean, on that play, it was obviously something went wrong with where those two were on that side of the field. But it did like to me, it felt like every time we were watching one of those plays, like Grant Delpit was kind of in the vicinity of what was happening there. He was standing there pointing at the person catching the ball, saying, oh, my miscommunication. He caught it. Maybe that was my fault. I re. So they do that. Awful. 
just like last week. Awful. Give up the 70 yard thing. Guy runs by you. Then after the onside kick, then they march down the field again and they can't stop anybody. What was it like for you, Irie, watching that? Because it's like, okay, I don't know. Maybe somebody will make a play against a 37-year-old backup quarterback who's five years past his prime. Maybe one person can make one play in the final 45 seconds and bail somebody out. And they couldn't do that, Irie. That that was almost worse because the, the first one is a single mistake. Boop, up, forgot to cover somebody. They then like made three or four plays to score the game winning touchdown and they couldn't stop Joe stinking Flacco. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, just covering and everything. It was definitely a sense of um, seeing the Browns life flash before their eyes. I mean, after the onside kick where it looked like Amari Cooper just kind of just watched it go, he did get in and try to be aggressive and go after it. Then Joe Flacco, who just stunned the Browns crowd with a 66 you know, yard touchdown just comes back out of no, no, we're like, all right, we're back at it again. Let's do this. And they, excuse me, they pretty much used the same type of offensive scheme that they used the entire game. It wasn't as if this just office was using any type of like special plays like they were like in backyard football or something. It was simple pass short pass route or dig route, whether it was to Garrett Wilson or, or to Corey Davis. It was too many blown coverages. And I wasn't sure why the open middle field was the probably the most open that it had been I in, in, in a football game as I had seen in who knows how long. The middle was there was just nobody out there. I think Casper was out there defending at, at some point. But yes, in the end, uh they went with the same scheme, the same exact scheme that they went with. And it's crazy because we talked about this, you know, regarding last week and stuff. What do we say? The only way that this team beats the Browns is with Joe Flacco passing. We knew what their what their where their game was, their style of play, and yet the Browns let them uh, do this, and here we are processing the pain. Dan, the, that last drive, they hit the first throw to Garrett Wilson for ten yards before the touchdown throw. They blitz Joe Woods blitzes two linebackers and drops Chase Winovich in coverage. He has no idea what he's doing. He's guarding nothing as Garrett Wilson catches a 10-yard pass wide open in the middle of the field, as Irie says. Then on the touchdown, they play a zone. The two safeties are sitting in the end zone. I guess they're going to tackle Garrett Wilson after he scores. And they wind up with Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa as the nearest person to Garrett Wilson. You're paying Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom and Mark, all, all these corners. None of them are covering the first round rookie receiver for the Jets with the game on the line. Denzel Ward is out covering his half of the field where nobody is. And you're going to play a zone that's going to let a linebacker be the closest person to Garrett Wilson. I thought Joe Woods failed. All right. Grant Delpit probably failed on the 66 yarder. Joe Woods failed on that last drive to let Garrett Wilson do that. I mean, this feels like a lot of what we talked about in the first half of last year too. I mean, just this defense, not, performing to the level we thought it could perform. And, you know, I don't know why they're they're playing so much zone. And I don't have it in front of me how much zone they play and how much man they play. It sure felt like a lot of zone today. And I just, it feels to me like if you have Greg Newsom, who was the number 26 overall pick, and if you have Denzel Ward, who's one of the highest paid cornerbacks in the league, you should be able to man some people up when it matters. And they, they especially the Jets. I mean, the Jets don't have anybody. Garrett Wilson's a rookie. So, you know, that, that confuses me a little bit. And another play, too, this wasn't part of the collapse at the end, but in the first half, Brees Hall scores on a touchdown catch. The Browns had six defensive backs on the field. Mm-hmm. 
and they let Brees Hall score via the air. Wide open. And, and again, it was a lot of like arms in the air, who was supposed to cover that, who then I just, I know it's game two this season, but again, these guys have been together, been in this system for a long time now, at least by NFL standards. And this stuff shouldn't be happening against Joe Flacco and the New York Jets because I, I just, I kind of keep making this point. I just want to read some of the quarterbacks that they have to face here after they get past these first four games. Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, uh, Tom Brady, Joe Burrow again. You can't have miscommunications against them or you're not going to lose by one. You're going to lose by 30. You know, I think you're off a little bit there, Dan, because other than Tom Brady, None of those guys have done what Joe Flacco has done, and that's win a Super Bowl. So this is just, you know what this is? This is Super Bowl winning quarterback takes it to young defense. Sometimes that happens, even though Joe Flacco's Super Bowl win came in 1966. I think this was incompetent. Their players are good enough. This is incompetent. The coaches are, this was incompetent coaching. This was incompetent attention to detail by the players on the field. Is this a fair word to throw around on something like this? Is that too strong? Like they, it was, it was a failure of doing your duty. It wasn't somebody, a, high, a more highly skilled person ran past you. It wasn't a, a running back who's impossible to tackle ran through you. It wasn't Patrick Mahomes threw a behind the backs pass and who can do that? The Jets are basic, bro. There's nothing special about that team. And the Browns lost because they were incompetent. Anybody want to refute that word? No, I think that's fair. I, I think that's fair. There, there's no excuse for them looking the way that they're looking right now. And I have asked these guys, you know, for a couple of weeks now, I point blank asked Denzel Ward, is it because you didn't, you weren't together all preseason? And he gave me pushback on that and, and said, no, it had nothing to do with that. Well, I think it does have something to do with that. They didn't practice together. The, they're playing in their preseason games right now. Not that that's an excuse, but this is the first time Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom are playing together. And I don't know, it seems to me like it would be Denzel that's supposed to take that that go route. I mean, maybe not. It, he didn't seem to think that it was his assignment. Um, but I know it was Greg's assignment on the 75-yarder last week. And something's just off. Something is just off on uh, on the pass defense. Now, I don't know if, I, I don't know if maybe Anthony Walker talked about you know, the being the green sticker guy. And if there's some kind of a lack of communication going on on the defense in general, I, I don't, I don't know, but incompetence, I think is a very fair word. Nobody's new. Like maybe they didn't play together the preseason, but nobody's new. Martin Emerson's due. He got smoked by Garrett Wilson on the, on the first touchdown by Garrett Wilson, little inside move, a little quick release. Hey, Garrett Wilson would have been a nice Brown. Oh, well, guess we'll let that one go. Wait till George Pickens gets here on Thursday night. Doug, are you are you okay? Wait Does this till... need to turn into the emotions pod really quick for you? I'm, a, I'm mad. I'm I offended know. on behalf of the fans. Wait till you I get. Know. Wait till we get to the part where I'm actually mad. I know. George wait till we Pickens, get. Wait, I know. But but wait till we get to the part of this pod where I'm actually mad. When we come back, we're going to talk about the people in charge, what they're doing wrong. Next on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. 
Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, you're a Browns insider, right? You're listening to this, you're a Browns insider. That means you go to cleveland.com slash Browns and you get all the stuff. I mean, how could you not be? If you're not, go to that page, cleveland.com slash Browns. I don't know. What do we have, 30 stories up after a game like this? Blue banner, click on that. If there's some that are blocked because it's for exclusive stuff, you want that. Just just don't go to McDonald's twice this week, and then you can be a Browns insider for a whole month. I swear it's worth it. McDonald's, man, I'm sick of McDonald's, and I used to love it. Give up two McDonald's, two Happy Meals. Sacrifice two Happy Meals to get all Mary Kay, all Irie, all Dan, all Ashley. Come on. Hey, Damn. hey, can I can I ask you guys a real quick question yeah. off yeah. topic? How much do you think four soft tacos cost at Taco Bell these days? <laughs> Did you look this up as part of your one story I have, that had a lead about no, I, the I last have, time the Browns I have a teenager. I have a teenager okay. that was starving after a band show. I'm going to guess four soft tacos from Taco Bell cost $7.56. In college, you could get like four tacos for like $4. Okay, anyway, back bargain, to the Browns. Bargain price being a Browns insider for that. Why should we have faith in Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Berry right now, Dan? I have none anymore. They can earn it back. I'm not saying they'll never get it back, but that's Andrew Berry's roster and Kevin Stefanski's team and culture that just blew that. So tell me why anybody should believe in the people in charge. So I, I think part of this is maybe the Nick Chubb discussion. Right. Let, let's hold off on that for one second. Let's hold on that for, for one second. I, I, I want to do a little bit more with the culture. How can you have a team that blows a lead like this? Kevin should have told. But can you answer a bigger picture before we drill down? I, I feel like this was a game. And, you know, it's hard for me to, you know, people are going to listen and be like, look at what the Ravens did today. Right. Like the Ravens blew a huge lead and lost a game. The Bengals went and lost to Cooper Rush. Um, the Steelers can't score. Um, I mean, our guy, George Pickens has like two catches this season. So there's issues across the AFC North right now, but I do feel like with this football team, it it's always felt like me felt to me, like they feel like they've accomplished more than they actually have. Yep. And maybe that's a fan thing. I, I don't know if that's internal, but it always sort of feels like this team feels more accomplished than they actually are. And they're almost like the Chargers East, you know, like, oh, the Chargers are going to be awesome and go to the Super Bowl every year. And then every year they miss the playoffs. And this team, probably about as talented as the Chargers are, and they never quite get there. So I I think, I don't know, that's always how I feel about this team. And I sort of got a bad feeling about this game yesterday, unfortunately, after we had already turned in our picks, just because I know sort of how these things go, these hyped up home openers against teams they should beat. And then lo and behold, they don't beat this team. So, you know, I don't know. It's, 
I feel like it's a little too much to take this one game and say, this is the sign of a bad culture. And this is the sign of a, of, of bad roster building. But I do think there were some warts that got put on display today. And that's why I bring up the Nick Chubb thing, which, which yeah. I know you want to wait on. So I, I, I won't yeah, mention hold on. that now, but I, I think that's a coaching. I think that goes in line with kind of what we're talking about here. Mary Kay, I do feel like after the chaos of Hugh Jackson and Sashi Brown and Freddie Kitchens and John Dorsey, there was an, uh, an expectation and a perception of competence and settling things down with Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski. And, I, and you make the playoffs in year one. And they, I think, have gotten that the benefit of the doubt. And there's an assumption of competence there. And I just think they lost the benefit of the doubt on a day like this. Right. Like, why are why do we assume everything will be OK? That's where I am on this. Well, you're right. I mean, I think the jury is still out on a lot of things with this football team. I mean, last year, a lot of issues reared their ugly head. There were a lot of problems. Uh, I mean, they were a sub 500 football team last season, and now they're out there, uh, you know, trying to win with Jacoby Brissett for the first 11 games of the season. But the thing that, that sort of stands out to me about this is that it's the defense. We were not really too worried about the defense. The defense was a top five defense last season, and it was supposed to be a lot better this year because you had Greg Newsom growing up. You had Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa growing up. You had Grant Delpit growing up. And when I look at these first two games, it is some of those very young guys that I think are having the communication problems in the back end and in the passing game. And when I look out there, I see, you know, Grant Delpit, you know, looking at, you know, shrugging his hands at, uh, you know, or at Denzel or John Johnson looking at Greg Newsom or somebody looking at JOK. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of those second year guys that seem to me uh, to be really kind of struggling right now. And that's what we didn't expect. We thought that those guys were going to just take that enormous leap and they still might. They very well still might. But right now they are discombobulated in the back end and in the passing game. And um, it's hard to imagine that they're going to get it together when you think of the quarterbacks that they're going to have to be going against. Like, my goodness. I mean, if you watched, you know, that one pass by uh, Justin Herbert the other night, uh, you know, just that one incredible pass where it just looked like it was superhuman to, to uh, complete that ball. They've got a really, really tough gig coming up after these first four games. And um, I just, I, you know, I don't know if they're going to be able to get it together as quickly as they need to. Apologies to Jacoby Brissett. I was prepping the whole first half of the pod, how great Jacoby Brissett played. <laughs> Sorry, you played great. Nobody cares. I read. Nick Chubb, when he scored the touchdown at the end and didn't slide and take a knee short of the goal line, did you think to yourself in the moment, uh-oh, he did the wrong thing, he shouldn't have scored? For a, a second, I, I definitely was. Um, but when it comes to Chubb and, of course, the 1,000-yard tracker and touchdown tracker, I'm thinking, oh, why not? Just for the hot second. But then after that happened and I see – of all the 40,000 fans that came to First Energy Stadium, and I see quite a bit of them already getting up and leaving after that touchdown. You see this 155 love on the clock. Everybody, there's just that's, that sense of we got it in the air. That's already the sense in the atmosphere, probably because Nick Chubb decided to run it in instead of Fam kneeing. Um, the Jets had that. I think that's going to be one of the biggest things to come out of this game, which everybody's probably already talking about now on the way home. The fact that the Jets had no timeouts left and the Browns and I used that to their advantage at all. It makes 
it makes everything else kind of a footnote, even, and I'm sorry, Ashley, even Kay York and his makes extra point is somewhat of a, uh, you know, of, of a footnote because the most important things that should have been done are, at, are up front with them scoring too early, with the defense not showing up. Why are you allowing the onside kick to even happen the way it does? So there are just so many things that happen, but the start of it was definitely uh, scoring too early instead of using the clock to their advantage. Ashley, did you think it in the moment? Did you think, why didn't he stop? No, and I already admitted this to Dan on our video, and I know Dan didn't think about it in the moment either, Uh, but it was then in the aftermath, and it was especially the oh, wow, this was like a huge moment was after the Jets quotes came out. And basically every one of them talked about that. And Joe Flacco, like paraphrasing here, made a comment about, you know, you basically you they gave him too much time. Like he knew right away it wasn't the right thing to do, that there was too much time left. And I think it is surprising, especially just knowing like Nick Chubb has done this thing before, right? And that kind of goes back to Dan's point about, this situational awareness that we, you know, think that this Browns regime has, this coaching group is supposed to have, and that these players who have been in this system now for a few years are supposed to have. And that's just a prime example of not thinking ahead in that moment, I think. I mean, that might be the defining play of 2020 is when Nick Chubb slid down and didn't score and did the exact right thing. Yeah, and it was it's like, probably, oh, these young and up and coming Browns, they're so selfless and they're so smart and this competent regime. Dan, why didn't Stefanski remind them to do it? Well, yeah, and, and that's where I was going earlier before, you know, before when I was talking about coaching, like this is an organization that prides itself on being smarter on working around the margins and winning in the margins, right? That's what Moneyball is about. That's what Paul DePodesta's in the building is for. And that's what Kevin Stefanski has gotten praise for throughout his career, his decisions to go for it on fourth down, the no moss against Houston, which was when Chubb did run out of bounds at the one-yard line, up 10-7. And, you know, again, like Ashley, I didn't think about it in real time. But then I started reading those Jets quotes and I see Robert Sala say, I've never been so happy for a missed tackle in my life. That was our only chance. And Joe Flacco saying at one point you're sitting on the bench and they have the opportunity to run the clock out when he scores, you're thinking, okay, that's not what he's supposed to do. That's coming from the Jets. (laughs) And so to me, somebody somewhere has to get in someone's ear, whether it's you know, Kevin, obviously, the, through the headset to Jacoby and the Jacoby to Chubb. But somebody's got to say, hey, we cannot score here. We have to go out of bounds. We have to take a knee. This time a year ago, we were talking about the Kevin Stefanski versus Brandon Staley Bowl, right? Which was supposed to be the, the two smartest, most forward-thinking coaches in the game because they were letting each other score and they were going for it on fourth down and all this stuff. You You can't have it both ways. So somewhere somebody dropped the ball there. Either Kevin didn't relay the message or Jacoby didn't relay the message or Nick Chubb just didn't hear it and or accidentally took two extra steps than he meant to take. But, you know, while I don't solely blame Nick Chubb for this loss because, you know, the defense has to get off the field. The defense can't give up 120-plus passing yards to Joe Flacco in two minutes. If if you're going to be the smart team, you have to do smart things. In the moment, I was just thinking about how, wow, the Jets have a chance to have a crazy backdoor cover here after Cade missed the extra point. I was like, oh, I, I took the Jets plus six and a half. <laughs> I might be right on that. If Joe Flacco, it sounds like if Joe Flacco was the coach of the Browns, 
Nick Chubb wouldn't have scored because Joe Flacco, Joe Flacco was sitting on the Jets bench being like, well, you know, if they score, then I, we have a chance. And Kevin Stefanski, I did. He, I mean, I'm blaming Kevin Stefanski. He doesn't sound like he told him. I mean, if Kevin's taking the heat because he told him 30 times and Nick scored anyway, then so be it. The head coach has to take the heat. Mary Kay, what did you think of the vibe from Kevin Stefanski and then anybody else on the team that matters in the aftermath of something like this? And how do you think Stefanski, do you think he'll be able to pull this team back together on the short week for Thursday night? Yeah, I mean, they only practice for one day. And, you know, we did ask Kevin Stefanski about the uh, the Nick Chubb uh, scoring there at the end in his press conference. So he did address it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in the moment, I don't think it hit me the way that, that it hit Joe Flacco, the way that it should have hit me. But Kevin Stefanski certainly should have articulated that to Nick Chubb. That's got to be a coaching point uh, that, that you address. And they pride themselves on all those little details and those situations. And they work on those things on Friday. And like Robert Sala, those are teaching moments. And he's going to use this one for sure. So that has to go on Kevin Stefanski. And he owned up to that uh, in, in the postgame presser. And that is just an egregious error because, again, uh, these are supposed to be the smartest of the smart, and that can't happen in that situation. I mean, this is a situation where when you look back to last week, I mean, they won that game in Carolina because Jacoby Brissett was able to overcome a mistake by Amari Cooper on the spike. Amari forgot to run his out route. There's a lot of mental errors going on on this team right now, but Amari forgot to run his out route on the spike and Jacoby alertly was able to pull it off and execute a legal sort of spike. And, you know, so, you know, at that point I thought, oh, they, you know, they did it. They pulled it off. They, they did what they needed to do to close out a football game. And then they turn around and do this unexcusable, inexcusable, can't happen. Um, And I think they all realize that this, this is a, a colossal screw up. And I think they are doubting themselves. I see doubt in their eyes. I see deer in the headlights, like what the F is going on here and how are we going to get it together by Thursday night? And maybe this is completely unfair by me, but I don't know that I have Kevin Stefanski at the top of the list of the culture, bring the team together, rally the troops kind of coach. If he's going to be good, he's got to be attention to detail, smarter than everybody else, ultra competent guy. So if they're not doing the attention to detail stuff and they're losing games because of that, then what are you? Like, what do you do well? Why do I believe in you? Why is, oh, Kevin Stefanski is our guy. Why? Because he forgot to tell Nick Chubb to slide down because they practically screwed up a freaking spike. What are we doing here? Or, Damn it, right? or, or did he tell Nick Chubb and he did articulate it and, and Nick did the wrong thing? I mean, we don't know that. Was Kevin, Kevin perhaps covering for Nick? We didn't get a chance to ask Nick. Now, I did get a chance to ask Amari Cooper and he point blank said, I completely forgot to run the out route or, or I completely screwed up on that play. Somebody else told me that he was supposed to run the out route. I mean, would Nick have said, I screwed up. I'm going to take that. Was his coach covering for him? We don't know the answer to that yet. Well, either Kevin forgot to tell him or Kevin did tell him and his best players can't do what they're supposed to do, even when they're told, which is still on Kevin. So this is what he's supposed to do and he's not doing it. So my faith in Kevin Stefanski, my faith meter in Kevin Stefanski is uh, it's empty and, and the prices are high to refill (laughs) it. So I think he has gotten a pass 
because they made the playoffs in year one and he came in after the chaos of Freddie Kitchens. And I don't know what there is to believe in right now. Maybe they'll get it together. Prove it. Prove it. No more free pass. No more benefit of the doubt. I think you're going to screw it up until you show me otherwise. We'll be back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And this leads into the discussion. I'm not even mad yet. Now I'm building up. I'm mad about Mary Kay. You asked the exact right question. And the, the answer from Miles Garrett offended me on behalf of Browns fans. Can you run us through that interaction between you and Miles Garrett about the booze at the end of the game? Yeah. So I asked Miles. I mean, my question was, I think, pretty innocuous. I just said, Basically, does does this hurt even more because it's your home opener and here you are, uh, you know, losing this game like this in this fashion in front of your home crowd, sending them home. So disappointed. Does that make it even worse? And that's when he said, what's even more disappointing is that they booed at the end of the game. And then, uh, you know, he went on to explain what he meant by that. And he really elaborated and said that, um, you know, we're out there basically leaving it all out there, working our tails off. And uh, we feel like we, you know, that we should be respected for that. Uh, so I, my headline was that he felt it was, uh, you know, disrespectful for fans to be booing. That, that's what I gleaned from that quote. I, I, you guys tell me, I mean, do you think that based on his quote, the way that he said that, which once again was, let me see if I could find it super quick. Um, yeah. Anyway. You got the gist. No, you you, you okay. got it. Okay. I, I, I think that's a yes. I think he was saying it was disrespectful. He said, we're okay. busting our A words out there yeah. and, you know, whatever. People shouldn't give up on us. Okay. Um, yeah. No, I think that's the right characterization. Okay. I didn't want because I heard somebody in the press box mentioned something about, you know, oh, well, he really wasn't calling out the fans. Well, I think he was calling out the fans. And I think he was saying that the fans were being disrespectful to the players who were out there working their asses off. So, I yes, that's what he said. You know what the right answer to your question is, by the way, Mary Kay? What? We deserve to be booed. We earn the booze. And can I give it a piece of advice to all Browns players? Stop complaining about the noise that the crowds make. Didn't work well for the guy last year who said the crowd made noise at the wrong time. I know Miles Garrett is beloved and he's a really good player. Can you find something else to say? Because you know what's disappointing? A bunch of millionaires blowing a sure win and disappointing fans who deserve to be respected by a better effort from their team of talented athletes. So that's the disrespect here. And I am the millionaires can cram it 
with complaining about the fans. They earned every one of those boos. If you want to support them, great. If you want to be a fan who cheers them off the field and says, get them next time, that's great. But if you want a boo, they earn the boos. Why do they act like this? Well, wait a minute. I You probably didn't get a chance to read my story yet, but John Johnson, the three, John Johnson, three came out and said that very thing. I mean, he absolutely 100% said, I don't feel that way at all. They came here, they paid their hard-earned money, and they should not have had to watch that crap, basically. So Great. Uh, tell him to tell Miles that. Yeah, he, he disagreed with Miles. I mean, he, he was pretty cool about it. Why, Dan, why do they say this? Why do the millionaires get mad when the fans boo a terrible performance? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, you, you shouldn't say it. But, but to be honest with you, it's, it's one of those things that, like, I, I don't know. Booing talk doesn't do it for me. Can we talk about special teams? Yeah. Uh, does anyone else want to do 30 seconds of booing talk? Or is my anger, yeah, I mean, does my anger suffice? No, I, mean, ahead, I, I can see both sides of it, honestly. Um, I understand why fans were frustrated with the prospect, pro, like with what the Browns put on the field. I understand why Miles, as a fairly emotional player, felt the need to express his opinion on it. He's a guy who we talk about this time and time again with Miles. He knows what he's saying. Um, and he's the one, you know, especially who brought up that the booze in particular hurt in his answer. That was the first thing he said. So he knew what he was saying. I do always just think it doesn't end well, like you alluded to, Doug, when players go after their own fan base in any kind of way. Like, it's just a no-win situation is really what I'm saying. It's a no-win situation for anybody when they really are addressing the booing in in that way or any kind of crowd noise and going after their own fans. Um, so yeah, I get why I, you know, I tend to agree with JJ three's line of thinking that people come to these games, they spend their hard earned money. They take their time to fight the traffic to come down here. If you're going to have an emotional reaction, that's fine. I think in this situation, given the circumstance. I, I do want to say, Doug, something you said got me thinking and, and listen, I, I have no issue with the fans booing, but you know, remember last year when things like this happened, they always could turn around and do what blame Baker Mayfield. Oh, wasn't that convenient. <laughs> and, now, and now they can't do that because Jacoby Brissett played about as good a game as Jacoby Brissett can play and you lost the game. And so I am curious to see sort of how people react when you're kind of pointing those fingers around the locker room and there isn't, uh, a guy wearing number six with a bad shoulder to for everybody to point at. Yeah, I tweeted after the game. I wanted to see whether people blamed Baker or Odell more for this loss. A lot of people didn't like that tweet. I like, Dan, the idea of booing talk doesn't do it for me. I, <laughs> I, I respect that, Dan. Make your, What do you want to say about special teams, Dan, and the fact that they couldn't recover an onside kick? I, I mean, I just, today was such a special teams failure all around. You had the fake punt. You had the missed extra point. You had the onside kick, which... You know, again, I don't know what Amari Cooper was doing on that play, but I, I'm trying to think of how many onside kicks the Browns have had recovered against them in the Mike Prefer era. And they had one last year against Baltimore. I feel like there was a big one in 2020, but I, I don't remember. So, I, you know, I don't know. But they've had these issues before, and special teams has been an issue for this team now for three years, four years, kind of the entire Mike Prefer era. 
So, Doug, if we're going to talk about coaches that should maybe be nervous. Let's go. I, I, you know, I, I think you've got to have real discussions about Mike Prefer moving forward because Cade York could potentially save his job. But, like, if you're going to be giving up fake punts and onside kicks and you go four years and you can't find one person who can return a kick, it, it's time to start talking about the guy you have, well, in this case, not wearing that headset. The thing is, at least Mike Prefer's a great guy. Oh, wait, no, he's not. Uh, anyone else want to fire Mike Prefer? Or just Dan? All right, I'm with you, Dan. I know that's not what you said. I'm putting words in your mouth. Uh, people have to be held accountable for this stuff. And, I, and it's, not about, it's not about coming out on Monday or Tuesday and, and saying this person is no longer employed here. It's not about that. But it's take, about taking real responsibility for an unacceptable outcome for a team with this much talent that supposedly is on the cusp is on the cusp of being a Super Bowl contender, which is why they went and made this move for Deshaun Watson. And then you can't even beat Joe Flacco. You can't even hold a, that. I, that and, 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 and that's what I wrote after the game. And some people didn't like that either. But this is supposed to be a team that's one, one quarterback away, right? The quarterback played great, Irie. Irie, you are the king of, Joby, of Jacoby Brissett <laughs> land. And he made you look like a genius today. And they still couldn't beat Joe Flacco with Jacoby Brissett playing. We had to do at least two minutes on him playing ball, playing about as well as you could ask him to play, Irie. You know what? Uh, I, I guess in this case, I, I've won off of that, but at what cost? I think that's the way, the way to go with describing this. Yeah, I mean, he played as good as a game as we, we may see during, you know, during this 11-game tenure. I mean, when else are we going to see a guy – who and I'm talking before they last played a game, the interception. When else are we going to see a guy who you can count on one hand how many you know draw passes or incompletions there were, and he threw over 20 pass attempts? When else are we going to see that type of performance? So I mean, putting aside that, he actually looked mobile out there. Did yeah. we remember in the, was it the, the first series? Uh, of the game for them, it might have been the first or second series to where, yeah, I think it was the first series on like the second play where it looked like he was about to pass, he fakes it, and he does like a, 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 a Earl the Pearl type spin move around and, and then and then dives. When's the last time that we've seen him do that? So, no, it was good. I mean, it four for fourth passing on third down early in the game. I mean, he, I mean, now. That first drive, I think 70% of his passes might not have even have gone to the line of scrimmage. They were screening the Jets to death, but it worked. It worked. And then he started ripping some throws to Amari Cooper. That's the formula at quarterback, is it not? It, it is. And, and and two quick things you want to talk about yelling. One, we heard, and we, we don't know who it was, but somebody from the Jets personnel in the room next to us screaming and going crazy when the, when the offense and, and Brissette were doing well. They're like, get him, and then on top of that, uh, I see that's what you want to add on the many things that were terrifically done that were wonderful. And we can't even talk or care about them because of the loss. Me saying me giving it over for Amari Cooper and, and his receptions. He got all four of, of the receptions needed for the over, like we talked about in the second series alone. The second series was the Amari Cooper series. And yet now what? It's a footnote. It's at the bottom. The foot, the, by the way, the over under for, Receptions by all the other receivers combined, I think, was one. So, right, Donovan Peoples-Jones had zero. David Bell had one. 
I'm not sure if Anthony Schwartz is still on the roster or not, but like everybody love like Jacoby Brissett, does that look to everybody? Like that's what it looks like. If this is going to be successful for the Browns over the next nine games. Yeah. I felt like for the most part, the offense didn't make me like as nervous today as it did in Carolina. Like they came out that first drive and I'm like, yeah, they're running pretty well. Like they're doing what they need to do after this Jets defense, you know, held the Ravens to under 70 rushing yards for the game uh, last week. The Browns had like 51 rushing yards, I think, just on their first drive. It slowed down a little bit, but Jacoby didn't even, his first incompletion was that pass that was almost the touchdown to DPJ, but he didn't have control of the ball as he landed, even though he landed with his feet inbounds. So I thought Jacoby looked like as sharp as Jacoby Brissett is going to look. And I hope there's more offensive performances by this. The bigger issue is just by far these blown coverages that are kind of just mind boggling at this point. Cause we heard all about how they were going to be fixed this week and they didn't, you know, they think they addressed the communication problem and it just obviously wasn't. Does it affect Dan, your view going forward of Jacoby? No, because we're not going to see these games from Jacoby like period. Like that, this was a, you're going to get this once every few weeks because, you know, I'm looking at it now so Jacoby, I think before he threw that pick, his rating was over 100. Um, his rating after the game, 98.9. So when you look at his game log on pro football reference, there's one, two, three, four, five, six. This is a great podcasting, by the way, counting on a podcast. Oh, no, I do think I think counting is good. That's good. Keep going. Eight, six, nine. Six, <laughs> six games in his career where he's thrown double digit passes and had a rating over 100. So this is rare. What you got from Jacoby Brissett today, you're not going to get this every single week. You're not going to get this against better defenses. Again, I keep harping on the chargers, but when Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack are bearing down on Jacoby Brissett, he's not going to have a rating of a hundred or whatever. So you blew it, Doug. I mean, this just goes back to like, you got, maybe the best game Jacoby Brissett's going to play all year. And that's, I'm not saying that as an insult to Jacoby Brissett, but this was probably the best game he's going to play all year. I, we, can, lost. we can end the podcast now because Dan said you blew it. That's all I wanted to get to 45 minutes to get Dan to that point. Mary Kay. I always think you have a very good read on this team that you have covered for so long. I do think the vibe matters. I do think you try to glean things about the headspace of a team. As we sit here at 8 p.m. on Sunday, Mary Kay, what is your expectation for what fans should expect from the Browns on Thursday night against the Steelers? You know, it, again, it's it's not going to be easy against a Steelers uh, defense. It's always tough, even without T.J. Watt. They're going to come in here and and they're going to have a lot to play for, and um, and you know, it, it's gonna, there's going to be a lot at stake. <sighs> but I, I think they can pull it together and pull it, pull it off. I think they're going to be really, really mad at themselves after this. I think they're furious with themselves. And I think they realize what they just did in front of their home crowd. And, and I think they're going to come back and, and really make sure they put on the right performance on Thursday night on national television. And I think they're going to be okay. Ari Harris, Ashley Bastock, Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, the finest Browns coverage in all the land. We know you guys are reading it at cleveland.com slash Browns, and we appreciate you making the Orange Down uh, Orange and Brown podcast part of your Browns experience. For the whole gang, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. <laughs>